Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the FYI podcast where we talk about faith, life, adulting, relationships, leaning into some mental health in this series. And if you don't know who we are, my name is Micah Keneally, one of your hosts, and I'm this Joe is Keneally, your other host. It's a joy to journey with you. Here is the FYI podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Sam Kim. Welcome to the show, our friend. Hey, honored to be here, guys. Really excited. Yeah. And for those of you tuning in, we are in a mini series on mental health, like Micah said. Mm -hmm. And so as we kind of gear into Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of the holidays, um, this is a, just a time where we're taking your questions mm -hmm. and we're bringing in different pastors and authors mm -hmm. and speakers who are experts on the field of mental health. And Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Sam D. Kim is the co-founder of 180 Church in New York. He is also a Yale Hastings scholar, um, as well as he has both studied and taught at Harvard Medical School. And he's the author of the book, A Holy Haunting. And um, I mean, he's also our friend. And so Dr. Sammy, would you just be open to sharing a little bit of your life journey with us today? Yeah. Um, so one side, I'm an ethics scholar. Um, I'm also on the Fulbright Commission, um, dealing with mental health, global health uh, issues and bioethics, societal issues, including mental health, AI technology and the speed of technology and how that affects societal issues. Um, in the other hand, I'm also, I'm also a minister in Manhattan, um, ministering to the major sectors of society, tech, medicine, uh, healthcare, and others, et cetera. And um, I'm glad to be here to talk to some young adults about this mental health series you guys are on. Um, and hopefully I can help and shed some light and add some value to my friends there, young friends there who might think maybe I'll be cool too with them. You are cool enough. You're on the podcast, so you passed the first test, though. <laughs> Dr. Sam, we are so thrilled that you've said yes. And the fact that you do so much in this space and you are juggling so many different things, so many different roles, coming across so many different people who are up against exactly what we're leaning into today. And that is mental health challenges. We all have some form of tension in our life when it comes to this. And um, can you just share a picture of maybe what a health and wellness could look like for a young adult um, to live life to its fullest in this day and age? You know, I, I think that as I think more about what a life of flourishing looks like, just generally in internationally, globally, I think um, that's about relationships. Mental health is uh, very intricately uh, connected and correlated to the health of our relationships. Because in the end of the day, at the center of the universe is a relationship. The Father, Son, and Spirit, they're a fellowship, the eternal community of love, ever flowing of love. And <clears throat> if you want to have a metric for flourishing, it's our relationship with others. It's our relationship with God. And there are only two ways you can achieve those ends, um, no matter what you accomplish, uh, no matter what you materially even possess in your life. And that's um, community and intimacy. But I think that um, today, 
in, in an age of political correctness and um, not s- stepping on people's toes, I think we have a very difficult time achieving real intimacy because we lack accountability on the other hand. And without accountability, you wouldn't be able to really know someone. And I think uh, for especially young adults in the age of social, I think what we see on social media, TikTok, Instagram, is achievement, so much achievement in comparison, like what you accomplish by what age and what's cool versus what's really important, which is who really knows me and is in a relationship with me. I think that uh, those tensions need to be uh, thought through, I think. So how do I achieve intimacy? I need community, but I also, in one hand, need accountability. How do I get those things? I think that's the tensions we're grappling with today. Mm. Sam, I think that's so good. And you hit on something that I just saw. So I'm not like the biggest ad, like avid TikTok watcher, but I did come across this one TikTok or this Instagram or something. And there was this girl and she was sitting with her girlfriends. And all of a sudden this um, bridal party gets out of a restaurant and they take off running across the street and the girl's like counting them. And she's like, one, two, she's like, there are 15 girls celebrating this bride. She's like, how does she have 15 friends? And she's like very distraught because she's looking around sitting with one friend. She's like, I can't even name three friends to celebrate life with, let alone 15. So what would you say, Sammy, who somebody is in that exact tension of what you're talking about of wanting to be seen and having that intimacy to be known right? and to, and to experience that, but also that, that communal element, like, what would you say for the person who maybe is not even strong, like struggling with the mental capacity of that, but they say that the average person can honestly only handle or have three to five friends that are super close to them. Would you say that that is a true or false fact when maybe three to five is what you can kind of have in your life? And how would you encourage the person who's trying to just navigate? How do I just get one good friend? How do I become the friend that I'm looking for is looking for? (laughs) Well, I would say to the student or young person, get off, get off screens and real, you know, live real life. And it might feel scary and might feel looking someone in the eye and feeling that awkwardness and that tension. Uh, it's, I think even you feel that even more today because we're not used to face-to-face interactions. But sci- the science says um, technology cannot replace um, face-to-face interactions. And that's why Gen Z, we, I think we talked about this before, but it's the loneliest generation in history, even though it's connected uh, the most to the world and to each other through technology. But you can't replace face-to-face interactions. I remember like when I was a teenager, in order for me to talk to a girl, the only way I could talk to her is to call her on, at her like landline home phone. And... <laughs> Um, even friends, I would have to talk to their grandma, their sisters, their mom, and the mom sometimes would, and the dads would quiz me on like what I was my aspirations for the future would be, what my SAT score was, what my GPA was, and then she would be embarrassed. Um, 
about you know all the things that they're doing and then the brothers and sisters would be screaming in the background um saying this is your boyfriend and there was no way for you to be not tethered to their real village their community their home and it was awkward but it was in a sense it was real life we saw into who this person really was their family there's no way you could ghost this person because you knew them you really saw into their lives and that's what's missing today because of the advent of social and the advent of technology in general how it affects society so i would encourage just really practically hey try to live real life even because it's difficult but it's well worth it that's how you develop relationships you have to enter awkwardness that's the always the beginning. it's always awkward in the beginning but eventually um there's mutual exchange you find a favorite band a favorite player a favorite team favorite food Re- reciprocity takes place and you go oh you too and then bam a relationship is born i love that we're laughing over here because we know that that's true. Like when people would come <laughs> to the house and my sister pretends she's me, she's like, hi. And they're like, start talking to her. And they, he's like, uh, is this Micah? No, this is Brittany. <laughs> so like you get a sense of the sibling rivalries or the banters mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. and you can't mm-hmm. replace it like you're saying. And mm-hmm. I'm over here giggling inside because I'm like, oh my gosh, if he only knew, like there's only a family of four over here, but so funny. <laughs> well, in, in a world that um, you talked about AI a second mm-hmm. ago, and I've just been learning a little bit about AI. And of course, there's chat GPT that you could have read a paper or a pastor could have read a sermon for them. But <laughs> beyond that, there are mm. there are some who would like see future programming benefits of AI to have a companion or a chatbot to mm-hmm. dialogue in conversation or to be a virtual assistant or to ask how you're doing throughout your day. And they could learn your idiosyncrasies. They could be like a mm-hmm. companion. They would never make you mad. They would never bother you. And yet you'd still be really lonely. Well, I was yeah. saying this, I think of Iron Man. He has that little thing that helps him do everything. I can't remember the name of it, but I mean, he has his little assistant helping with yeah. everything. Jarvis. He, yeah. No, Jarvis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jarvis. Okay, Jarvis it is. is. Right. Yeah. So I think of that even when you're talking of that didn't replace no, a no, physical no. person, right? And, and my gosh, I know that there's also medical um, benefits right. with AI and, and some good and some uncertain with, with how that could shake out, but the bottom line across all dimensions is that there's something healing for the soul about another relationship that we're designed to mm-hmm. be interwoven with other relationships and community. And part of it is, is so powerful how you were talking about awkward. The other word that comes to mind mm-hmm. for me is boring or boredom. I think that with AI or with technology, we've removed the possibility to ever be bored or to be awkward because we can just grab a screen and entertain ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I think that where some real creativity and real fun comes from those awkward, boring moments that it was just like, but that's where you made great memories or great friends. I mean, is that some of what you're getting at? Yeah, the, the sacred part of the human soul it's why that's why you feel awkward. You're you're standing in front of someone that matters. You're standing. You're 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 looking into the eyes of a soul, 
someone made in the image of God and you feel it. That's why you feel awkward. You, you, you're, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do sometimes when someone's new or someone's there because they're real. Unlike AI, unlike, um, you know, technology that we programmed already. Um, they're someone made in the image of God and they're, mm-hmm. they're a masterpiece. We just might not know it yet. And so the, I think the sacred part of building relationships and the healthy part is the awkward tension we feel. And that is the sacred tension we feel. And that's so, and, and when we enter that tension of awkwardness, I think what we're saying in that space is you're worthy of my attention. You're worthy of my time. And I can't just ignore what's in front of me because your 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 worthiness or what you're worth is incalculable and that's i think that's part of the tension we enter and and that's why it's so beautiful that when we do come to that place and see someone for who they are we become their friends their spouse eventually or you know brothers in arms sisters in arms um and or lifelong friends it's a beautiful thing and if you think about it Relationships are the only things that will last into eternity. This is something we'll be doing forever. Yeah, Sam, I love that you bring in just like that soul element because there is, we are a beautiful masterpiece created in God's image. Like there is only one of us. Like we cannot be duplicated like objects around this earth, right? And I think like what you're getting at is so beautiful and sacred because it's that sacred tension that you're talking about. And we're talking about some other tensions that is maybe 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 a basic question for you, but for the person who kind of feels stuck mm. and they feel the stress and they feel the anxiety and they feel the pull and they feel the financial weight and the burden and they're afraid, like they're almost like analysis paralysis. Like they're so afraid to make a decision that they don't want to make the wrong one that they end up not making any. And by yeah. not making any decision, that's the decision, mm. right? So we're, we're mm. choosing those things each and every single mm. day. So for the person who is stressed and feeling anxious continuously or finds themselves in a downward spiral in those moments or each and every single day, that's an alarm that our soul needs help or our body needs help. But how can we in the society of which we live, when there's so many social things pulling at us, how can we decrease those levels of stress and anxiety when it is all around us? Like, how can we, how can we do that? Yeah. Well, I think there are two answers to that question because one in a external environment, organizational theory lens, you can't because our environment is out of our control. So there is a sense of uh, anxiety being ubiquitous to all of us as people that cannot control the next tsunami, next mass shooting, next uh, natural disaster. That's something we can't control. So there, there can be a sense of anxiety and that's normal. So anxiety is normal, but um, catastrophe and, and thinking catastrophic thinking is a is a practice that we lean into a lot of times. The problem is there are reasons to be worried, but we sometimes think the worst case scenarios because we're um, we give into this maladaptive form of uh, catastrophic thinking. And that itself, I think we don't realize is a practice. CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, focuses on that, how to reframe that way of thinking. So first know that 
you going to the worst case scenario is a practice, is a learned practice. And some anxiety is involuntary, but catastrophic thinking is not. And faith is also a practice. Very good. So good. Wow. Dallas Dallas Willard one time um, asked uh, a renowned um, psychologist, if you could describe Jesus in one word, there are many attributes to Jesus. What would you say that culminates the person of Jesus? And they were thinking, you know, sovereign, um, joyful, um, uh, kind, gentle. And Dallas, and they, they asked, they, they kind of picked up the, that they're wrong. So they said, Dallas, what do you think? Dallas leaned back in his chair and said, relaxed. Wow. And they're thinking, what? Relaxed? <laughs> yeah. Jesus was the most relaxed, non-anxious person mm. because he was never, never in hurry because he was perfect union with the Holy Spirit. And he was not in hurry, but he was the most productive because he rested in the presence of his father. Like he was sleeping in the, in the boat (laughs) in the midst of a storm, you know, you catch him, you know, Um, he never freaks out. Why? Because he's anchored and tethered to the, the God of the universe that holds the universe and the world in his hands. And I think that, I think a lot of times we don't really talk about in spiritual formation, especially with young adults. Can we get there? Can we get to a place? Because, because the, I just want to go into theological implications on this might be um, a little bit complicated, but if you look at Jesus, this idea of kenosis, the emptying Philippians two, he, he put aside his divinity, which means as a human being, the new human being formed by the spirit in spiritual formation, he came to a place where he could be relaxed. So that's spiritual maturity. And Dallas Willard, because you trust in the promises of God and the presence of God is how mature you are. So I would say those two practices, know that anxiety and um, catastrophic thinking is a practice. So those two tensions we have to grapple with. And if we can learn and then relearn how to walk in peace in the way of Jesus. Wow. That is so, so good. Amen. Yeah. I mean, there's something about the person of Jesus and the pace that he was graced with that then when he comes into orbit with us, changes our pace and changes Mm -hmm. the grace on our life. Um, If Jesus were here, what do you think he would say about Sabbath? Oh, well, I think Sabbath is a violent sort of word to American life, the ambition, the, like Gen Z, I read a a recent part of Gen Z feeling always like they're behind. And they have, they need their schedules filled up. Unlike millennials um, who wanted to travel the world, <laughs> Gen Z felt like they need to accomplish more. They, they look at millennials like, oh, these guys just want to just hang out all the time. They're hippies. But, but Gen Z felt like they need to accomplish, accomplish. And I need to fill my whole schedule. I shouldn't have any time. Um, Sabbath it really comes from the idea of, you know, Isaiah 61, when Jesus says, I've come to preach to the poor, uh, come to broke, um, heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free. I think Jesus would say, 
The greatest call of your time is not productivity, but presence. Mm. So what is Sabbath? It's resting, not working, and resting in the promises of God's uh, presence and promises. And believe in the covenant that God made to Abraham. He will make you great. He will bless you. Right? And he will bless you to the point that so exponential that it's unimaginable. But, but the key word phrase is per, in the perfect the grammar, he will. And our job is to rest. You sleep like Jesus was sleeping in the boat, mm-hmm. believing that he will do the work. And so much so, it will be apparent compared to other people. And then you can't say in the end, oh, I'm, I'm the man or I'm awesome. God gets the glory, but hey, I get the joy. I think that's what Jesus would say. The, the, the call of your time is not productivity because that's a way of you becoming your own hero of your own journey, but practicing presence, the presence of God and presence with others, being there, being with God and being with others. That's Sabbath. In this mental health mini series, we landed last week here, um, right about the same point with Dr. John Deloney from Ramsey Solutions. And we were having a conversation really on how to build a non-anxious life and how to become a non-anxious presence. Mm. And I think that that is something that just is so countercultural because of what you said, maybe we Mm -hmm. feel the compelling desire to go somewhere or do something or fill our schedule or accomplish and achieve. Um, But it's, it's this idea that, and I remember coming across becoming a non-anxious presence in college, studying to be a pastor and we're doing hospital visits. And they're like, look, if you go and visit somebody in the hospital, you've got to walk slow. You are coming into, you don't know what the situation is. Don't freak them out, like settle down. So that way you're overwhelmed, doesn't overwhelm them. That's kind of when I realized like, oh, non-anxious presence. Got it. And, but I just, I think that that's something that would love to hear your thoughts on of just what could being a non-anxious presence mean or look like to a college student um, in a dorm room, in a campus or a classroom or a, you know, an office job. Well, I think that if you're centered in the presence of God, and like I said, Sabbath, I think, is uh, being aligned and in tune to the presence of God and the presence of others. If I'm not trying to work to make you like me, right, or earn your approval, because I already have it in the Father, right? So the Father comes first, the presence of the Father. Then my presence would be, I'm not trying to prove to you my worth. And I think that that's really the tension of of the Sabbath is we're all trying to prove our worth all the time. But if you saw the great reversal, like, like Willard Dallas Willard talks about in divine conspiracy, Jesus is a non-anxious presence as a model because he received the father's blessing without doing anything, any ministry, but the heavens opened up and there he was with John, his cousin, fighting each other, who should baptize who, doing cannonballs with his family member, and the heavens open up. And angels are singing, and God is saying, this is my beloved son. So belovedness is tethered to freedom. 
from overworking and resting in the presence of God. Then out of that non-anxious presence and the blessing of the Father, you see Jesus being this non-anxious presence and not in a hurry. And I mean, like, did you guys see Chosen? Like when Jesus goes into Samaria to meet the women? I mean, I would really encourage everyone to watch that episode of Chosen. I was like in tears because Jesus was not Jesus was not in a hurry. He went to Samaria. Traditionally, the Jews don't go into. They even take a three-day extra journey to avoid that place. And Jesus said, we have to go. They And the text says in John 4, they have to go to Samaria. But that's not a geographic reason. They usually miss it. But Jesus went to Samaria, not in a hurry to meet this woman looking for living water, not satisfied by life. So you see in the model of Jesus how that's practiced. You, the Father's blessing and the Father's presence presence is paramount to living that non-anxious presence. I think that's just great, a challenge and encouragement for any of us and all of us listening and just trying to accomplish that each and every Mm -hmm. single day of saying, Lord, I want to live in your presence. I want to live in proximity to you. Like he's closer than our next breath. And I think sometimes we forget that when we have the to-do list in front of us, when we have the dream list, the goal list, or just the things that we want to accomplish, right? So we're just being in tune with what does God want us to accomplish and how does he want us to get there? And living in a world where there's like, there's technology and there's a desire to live for God and there's a desire to be liked by man, but knowing who we are and whose we are, like you said, is paramount in our ability to walk out our faith each and every single day. So I just have the next question. We have a couple left, but what kind of correlation have you been seeing maybe in your studies um, from the way that we think to the way they respond, the way that our brains have been rewired, whatever direction you want to take it when it comes to the correlation between technology and our exposure to exposure to it, no matter how many hours that is with our mental health in this, in like the day in which we live, like what correlations are you seeing when it comes to that and the implications of that really? Yeah. Well, in a very practical level, um, Good to, in Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about how technology cannot create growth. We can only accelerate it. Uh, and technology, like social, is a microcosm, right? It's not um, creating anything but enhancing something that's already there. And I think in the beginning when, when social with Facebook and now Meta, I think we should change the name to In Your Facebook, Right. I mean, because really social is about in your face. <laughs> and like Instagram, for example, Meta now created a filter called Paris. The first filter, if you notice in story, is called mm-hmm. the Paris filter. So if we're trying to create uh, nostalgia and, and by highlighting how awesome our life is and the, and the proclivity in, in human nature is we're prone to share highlights of our lives. I got this awesome promotion. Um, I got into this school. I got this job. Oh, look at this concert that I went to. Um, and so when, there, when there's comparison that comes at this scale, that's when you get um, everybody believing that everybody's life is awesome in my life. And now I'm, I'm like struggling here in the basement can't find a job, watching TV 24 hours a day, just binge Netflix. What am I doing with my life? I'm such a loser. 
Um, so if you compare people's highlights with your bloopers constantly, you derail into despair. And I mean, we've seen this scandal with Facebook already that they hid that mental health report, how it affects especially teens and teen girls, how negatively it impacts their self-image, identity. Honestly, I think 20 years from now, people are going to look at social media as they did nicotine, its effects on nicotine on the brain. So, so I know there are a lot of ministers where social media depends on their livelihood now because as media influencers. But I think we do have to grapple with the pros and cons of it because there is, I think, a lot more negative side effects. Or even like for Christian authors, like there's no way you can sell your books apart from social. And the platform is counted when you sell, when you sign contracts, and et cetera. So there are those tensions there, I would say. For sure. I, I just look inward on that one. And I wrestle with those tensions in a very real way because I, I guess to define them, on the one hand, I want to be a bright light in a dark place. I want to reach young adults for Christ in our world today. And one of the watering holes is a commonplace of a market of an online app or, you know, podcast or platform or social. But then at the same time, I don't want to be a digitally distracted dad. Like I saw this one real and how ironic is this that I saw this, but it spoke powerfully <laughs> to me, but I saw it on online as well, where there's this dad and he, it, I sent clear. it to you when you were on the road. Yes. So it's <laughs> dad has two daughters. And he looks down at his phone and his one daughter's like grabbing for his attention. And then she pouts and she cries and she lays down and then she gets up. She grabs his phone and walks away and she's years older. Like it's powerful. And it, it, in about 10 seconds, you're like, Oh, that's actually how fast life goes. Mm -hmm. Like, Like this speaks to me. Like I don't want to scroll my life away or, miss what matters most for what was buzzing and beeping at me or what I or vicariously feel. live through others yeah it's virtual yes. non like it's not reality it's virtual like oh how do we how do we enjoy life but not live through others successes right yeah I don't know. And, I, and i think that right there <laughs> what you said there is the key we need to offer a transcending vision a compelling vision to live real life where I think even sin and temptation overcoming the lesser desire, the less wild lovers, John Eldridge talks about. He got, you guys had him on the podcast. Um, Such a powerful book, sacred romance. And um, you, you need to live a life that's better than the movies. Aspire to live it yourself. And so when, when you look at sin and temptation, you know what? I have better than that. And to become an ambassador for Christ, to live this large life, and you can live it when you say, God, take my life. And, he, and, and, and God promises Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. To aspire to that type of magnitude. And I don't know what that scale will look like, but to have that desire, because God is a big God. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. To live a transcending life. So they can make a movie about your life for Christ. That's good. Come on. But well, that is a that is a great vision to cast. And I mean, share some of your work um, that you've been up to most recently as a local church pastor, passionate about the college campus. In your book, 
A Holy Haunting. Yeah, so um, my book launched, um, actually pre-launched in all the Ivy League universities first, um, including NYU and Stanford. We, we included those guys just, just for fun. But, but um, I think one of my greatest passions for, for students in the university is um, I doubted my faith and, de- and enter deconstruction. That's the word that we use, the, the D word, the dirty D word today. Pastors are scared of. But when you enter a secular environment, liberal arts education, you're going to be competing with many worldviews. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book um, is to defend the faith, but before that, to let everyone know it's ubiquitous to doubt. And doubting is not um, apostasy <laughs> and you could feel that shame of so many things going on precarious and you enter existential crisis but i really love the university students in giving a resource my book is a holy haunting that tension that we wrestle with about the transcending things in life the life's biggest questions i just wanted students to not feel alone like i did because i felt honestly really ashamed and like, I couldn't talk to anyone, like not my youth group, not my pastors, because I didn't want to let anyone down. And it was a crippling anxiety that happened, like a dark period of, I don't know, 16 months that I would never want to go through alone again. But God was with me. And I wanted students to really know, hey, um, if you look at the New Testament, the disciples, especially Thomas <laughs> and everybody else, they doubted together openly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a shameful thing. And then uh, faith is not opposed to doubt, but it's actually part of the process. And like the Beatles, one of the iconic songs by the Beatles, the journey of faith is a long and winding road. And I want to help you when you're there, let you know you're not alone. So that's my ministry with with campuses and and the books providing um, that reassurance. Love it. For your season you just described for you personally was that undergrad was that at Yale was undergrad that- undergrad undergrad okay got it yeah, yeah. got it yeah it's I think I think that's so um common and and I would just say to the listener if you're finding yourself tuning in today mm-hmm. and you're in a season like that um that's part of why FYI exists is to be an encouragement to you to be a community that that's a reminder like what Dr. Sammy Kim is saying is you aren't alone. We just, I, I double down on that. That's that's a really good message, man. If you could leave um, that listener with a, a thought on hope or encouragement, what would you want them to know today? You know, just going on with, with students that are doubting. One time I, I spoke at a retreat um, to primary young adults. And one of the leaders after one of my talks on faith and doubt came to me in secret and said, I've not told anyone this, but I don't believe anymore. And I I felt like I couldn't tell anyone that because everybody counts on me here. And he was just like, sort of like in tears and in shame. And he said, I felt like I could tell you though. And he asked me, is there really a light to the end of this tunnel, you know, like, and I said, yeah, I've been there. And I said, you might feel this way, but you're not alone. 
to those students, um, especially with the life of the mind, and you think a lot intellectually about life's biggest questions, and and even the existential crisis of the Christian empire kind of falling, pastors and immorality, and you question, hey, is this even real? And I would say that's normal to feel, um, to question everything when your world is crashing down, a hero has fallen, stuff like that. I would say, don't be ashamed of how you feel. There are many out there that feel that way. But be open and invite um, someone you can trust to the conversation. Because the disciples, believe it or not, felt like this too. Like, for example, at the day of the resurrection, <laughs> the women, of course, God chose the women because they believed, right? The men didn't. And they told Peter, he has risen. And he heard those words. He has risen, those three words, but he couldn't believe them. And he told the women, you're out of your mind. So whether today you're full of faith or full of doubt, Easter is your story too. The story of Christianity is your story too. Whether far, close, or somewhere in between, Jesus is present and near. And just like Thomas, he'll let you reach out ask questions. And if you think about it, as I close to this, Jesus responding to uh, Thomas's request wasn't a miracle, right? Because the resurrection was a miracle, but him complying to Thomas's skepticism and, and even sarcasm kind of was an act of love. And I would say Jesus will reach out to you with loving arms and help you see, and your faith will even be stronger than before, like mine was. So just want to let those students know you're not alone. Excellent. That's so good. Dr. Sam Kim, we have here with us on the FYI podcast. And uh, Dr. Sam, can they find the Holy Haunting anywhere? Can we attach that into our show notes? Anywhere. Yep. Awesome. Well, we'll attach that into our show notes. If you're having the big questions of life, and if you want to walk alongside somebody who's already been there and can help maybe guide you and help you wrestle through some of those tensions, you can connect with us on our show no- in our show notes with The Holy Haunting, Dr. Sam Kim, and just the FYI podcast.